All right, thank you, team. And glad to be here, being able to share with you God's word this morning. Wish you could all be here. Um, there's a, a reason that we did it this way. If you remember, Pastor Sean shared about it um, a couple of Sundays ago that we had um, decided ahead of time we were going to tape this service and uh, record it and then just show it online and not meet on campus uh, on the 27th to, to give our awesome media team and our awesome worship team the, uh, the Sunday off after all of the stuff that they've been through this year, um, trying to make things happen. This takes me back to uh, March and April when we uh, had, to, had to do this and didn't have um, people in. And I'll tell you, it's, it's really weird. It's different. I wish you all could be here and be a part of this, uh, especially this time because this is the first Sunday after Christmas, so I want to say Merry Christmas, hope you had a wonderful Christmas, and at the same time it's just weird because we're taping this on the 19th um, before Christmas, and then I'm saying, you know, hope you had a great Christmas, and it's, it's just, it's weird, it's strange, anyway. <laughs> I don't know how they tape these, these movies and things in July, you know, the Christmas movies and things, and then, they, and then they show them in December and they get into character. I would not make a good actor, so that's just, that's just how that is. And, 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 and Sean didn't really tell you everything. Uh, yeah, he is on vacation uh, by the time you see this on the 27th and all of that, but we literally switched roles this weekend. Um, Sean today was out mopping floors and washing windows. So, which is normally what I would do, and he's doing that, and so I'm preaching. So we literally switched those roles today. So uh, kudos to him uh, if it looks great, and if it looks bad, it's him, okay? So you can talk to him about that. Anyhow, um, I want to share with you some things this morning uh, about uh, our relationship with Jesus, and I've entitled this message, A Foundational Relationship. And part of our vision statement speaks to that, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. And my passage this morning that I'm centering on is uh, Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49. So you got Bibles, you want to get that open and get ready for that, you can do that. And we'll be uh, jumping into some other scriptures as, as well. But uh, I, I want to start out by just talking about marriage a little bit. Uh, for, for those of us married, I, we can relate to this. Those of you that are considering marriage, maybe this will be helpful for you in thinking what you're going to be uh, encountering in the future. But when my wife and I were engaged and we were moving toward that date of marriage, uh, we had gone through some premarital counseling. We had uh, done all kinds of things. And we were convinced that we knew each other well. We were convinced that we had it all figured out. We were convinced that we were going to be different than any other couple that had ever gone through marriage. And then on that wonderful day, I almost said fateful day, huh? on, on that wonderful day, on July 23rd, 1983, we were married. And we, it was a joyous day. We were so happy. We were ready to tackle the world. We had all of these wonderful things. We knew each other. We knew that we were better equipped than anybody had ever been. And then a year later happened. And it, it was, marriage was still good. Don't get me wrong. Marriage is still good. But we were discovering some things about each other that we didn't realize we had to learn. And in... in, in, in you know, it's, it's, it was important things like the toilet paper goes over the top and not the bottom, you know, things like that. Uh, you know, it's all those little 
idiosyncrasies that you, you didn't really know about the other person because you're not with them 24-7 normally when you're engaged and, 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 and until that day you're married, then you, you're with them all the time and you're picking up all of this stuff and your, the habits and the attitudes and things you grew up with and the things you're discovering. And you realize something, that this thing called marriage takes work. It takes work to invest in the other person and, and to learn how to, to mesh with them and they with you. I actually had to get to know my wife more. I actually had to continue to learn some things about her and, and her about me. And I can tell you after 37 years of marriage, we are still learning things about each other. There's always something to learn. Something, maybe some story in my childhood that I told her that never, was never important before, never even thought about saying, and say, oh, that, that happened to you? Or that was you? You did that? And she would do the same. She still, this still happens today. We did not learn these things from each other just by being in the same room all the time. Just because of the fact that we were sitting closer than six feet apart with each other did not just somehow magically make us know each other. But we had to invest, we had to get to know each other, we had to inquire, we had to experience each other. And it's a lifelong journey. That's the problem with most marriages today that end up in divorce is people stop experiencing each other. They stop investing in each other. They stop communicating. They stop wanting to discover. They fail to interact. Why did I take the time and why did Sherry take the time to learn about each other and invest in each other? Why did we do that? It wasn't because we were trying to become more married. Because you see, on that day, on the 23rd of July, 1983, we were as married as we were ever going to be. We were fully married on that day. Now, obviously, we had things to learn. We had things to grow through. But we had a piece of paper that said, we're married. And the reason that we continue to work at this marriage and the reason we continue to grow in it is because we invested in each other. We invested in it because why? God called us to do that. And God had things for us to learn and things for us to grow in and things for us to, to be blessed by through him, through each other. No, we worked at the marriage to more fully enjoy that relationship God had blessed us with. The more I get to know her, the more blessed I am. The more she gets to know me, the more blessed she is. And didn't always think about it that way. Honestly, sometimes I thought about it, the more I got to know her, the more problem this is. And saying she would do the same thing, right? To be fair, she would do the same thing. But then you get your eyes off of self and you realize, oh, this is an area God wants to grow me in. This is an area that God wants to, to uh, sharpen me in. Marriage takes work. It takes selflessness. It takes humility. It takes sacrifice. It takes patience. Do those things sound familiar? They should, because they're what is listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when Paul writes about love. 
Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not self-seeking, etc. Marriage takes love. It takes work. It takes investment. And so it is with our relationship with Jesus. To fully enjoy this relationship that Jesus has called us into, we need to invest in him. We need to learn from him. We need to work. Our mission statement, this little card Pastor Sean shared with you uh, a couple of weeks ago in a What's Brewing. He refreshed our memories about our vision statement and said that we are fully enjoying our relationship with Jesus Christ through one, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, God's word and prayer. Two, journeying in faith in life, excuse me, journeying in life with our church family in honesty and humility. And three, engaging our neighbor with the love of God in authentic and caring relationships. And the part that I want to explore to, with you today is this part of the vision statement about fully enjoying our relationship with Jesus. That our relationship with Jesus is not just about being in the same room with him. But it's about experiencing him. It's about building a relationship on what he has said, on what he has told us that we need to engage in. It's an active, living, abiding relationship that needs to be built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. There's a couple of things that we need to remember as we look at this passage this morning, the short passage, because there are kind of some hazards as we think about the relationship with Jesus that we're engaging in. One of them is this, I've already kind of alluded to it when I talked about the marriage piece, is that we are not working to gain a relationship with Jesus. We already have, if we have, if we have confessed with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe with God, raised him from the dead, we are saved. We have a relationship with Jesus. The question is not whether we have the relationship or not. The question is, are we fully enjoying that relationship? Or at least are we on the journey to fully enjoying that relationship? Remember, Paul writes for us in Romans 5.8 that Jesus established that relationship for us because he says this, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came that we might have life and have it to the full. That this is what Christ has done for us. And so there is nothing we can do to earn that relationship. It is freely given to us. Now it's for us to enjoy it. And to enjoy it, we're going to see how we need to respond to that gift. We also need to remember that we are joint heirs with Christ. Romans 8, 17 says this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The tendency that we have, that human beings have, is to somehow take God and, and Jesus and equate him with, uh, with humanity. That somehow I'm on the same level with Jesus. Now, it's true that we are joint heirs. It's true that we are his friends. The Bible talks about the fact that we are his friends. John 15, verses 13 through 15 talk about this. But he is also Lord. He is also our Lord. He is also the one who gave his life for us. And so we need to, we need to see this relationship in its proper perspective. That while, yes, we are joint heirs and we are friends, he is still Lord. And there is still a response and there's still a reverence and there's still a respect that he is due from us. And we need to continue to give him that. 
Romans 10, 9, he is Lord. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you know what the awesome thing about this is? is Jesus invites us into this relationship with him. That's why he came. That's really what the message of the Bible is all about from Genesis to Revelation. It started in Genesis 3 with the fall of man. God had a plan. And that plan wasn't made up just on the fly. God knew ahead of time what Adam was going to do. And he had this plan. And and Jesus was going to come and he was going to give and be that perfect sacrifice. Why? To establish back that relationship with God that was lost at the fall. And Jesus invites us into that relationship. Matthew eleven twenty eight is one of those passages that, that is an example of this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my load is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus invites us into this relationship. Then what does he expect from us in this relationship? And that's where we begin to dive into this passage a little bit here because in in, in verse 46 of chapter 6 of Luke, we read the following. As soon as I get to Luke, chapter 6, verse 46, we read this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then do not do what I say? Jesus is saying, look, why are you in this relationship with me if you're not going to follow me, if you're not going to do what I say? What's the point? What is it if you're not going to learn? Why are you here if you're not going to learn from me? This question that Jesus is asking begs this expectation from him, that he speaks and we obey. It's kind of a rhetorical question here. If you're calling me Lord, then you need to do what I say. Why? Because I know how you need to live in this sin-sick world is what Jesus is saying to him here. And I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. You need to join me in it. You need to surrender to me and join me in this, he is saying. Again, it's not about earning this relationship. It's about enjoying this relationship. And as we do what he has called us to do, we enjoy fully the relationship that Jesus Christ has come to give us. Someone has summed up the things that Jesus calls us to do under five areas. There's probably way more than this, but just as a summary, here are basically five things Jesus calls us to do. Number one, to love God. Number two, love others. Matthew 22, 37 and following, that is the greatest commandment. And and Jesus is saying, these are the two. The first is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And second is like it, love your neighbor under yourself. And then he says this, on these two hinge the whole law and the prophets. Everything else flows out of that. Continuing with the summary, they say number three is treat others as you want to be treated. Philippians 2. Don't only look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others would be a scripture for there. Number four, be forgiving with those who offend you. Because Christ has forgiven us. So ought to we forgive others. And number five, have compassion on the weak and the oppressed. Who did Jesus come to more often than not? 
He came to the weak and the oppressed. He came to challenge the religious leaders, but he also came to the weak and the oppressed. And we need to remember something about this relationship that he calls us into. Because when we, when we hear him say, you need to do what I tell you, we think, oh my gosh, I can't do another thing. Life is so full of stuff and trial and, and it's just, ah, it's hard. First John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, give us some encouragement here. And while this is hard for us to grasp, this is where faith and trust really take on some special meaning here. Because he says, John writes for us this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Then he follows it up with this. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. It, too often when we, when we see instructions and we see there's, there's, there, there's another thing on our to-do list, we, we get all anxious about, oh, it's, something else, this is going to be so hard. And yes, on our own strength it is. Because we cannot do what Jesus has called us to do apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why our vision statement talks about relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, God's word, and prayer. Because in our own strength, we can't do that. We cannot, we cannot enjoy this relationship fully without the Holy Spirit and, and our engagement and surrender to him. So we need to get to know Jesus. How do we get to know him? How do we get to know what he is telling us to do? There's four areas that, that uh, I've identified. There's probably more, but I kind of boil it down to these four areas. Number one, we get to know him through prayer. Whatever time we spend in prayer, corporate prayer, private prayer, however that is for you, but as we pray and, and, and we listen in our prayer, not just talk all the time, but listen, he speaks. He speaks to the heart. He speaks to the mind. And, 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 and we get to know him through that relationship. He's invited us into that. We get to know him through the word. As I said before, the word is God's revelation of himself. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is inspired by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, for encouragement. Throw that one in there so that we can all be built up in the faith. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tell us not to lean on our own understanding, but to trust him in all his ways. Well, how do we know those ways? They're revealed right here. We get to know Jesus through the word. John 17, 17, Jesus is praying in the garden. He prays for the disciples, and he ultimately prays for us when he says this. Sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. Another way that we get to know Jesus is through circumstances. I shared uh, what's brewing a couple of weeks ago now about expectant faith, about expecting God to work, not always in the way we think he should work and not always the answer we think he should give, but God is always going to answer. He's always going to work. And we need to be open and, and expect him to be working through the circumstances that surround our lives. When things happen, we should be looking, where is God in this? What is God trying to say? What is, what, what's up here, God? Jesus, what are you trying to teach me here? 
First Peter 1.3. You probably knew that one was coming. Because Peter writes there when he says this. You're experiencing some joy right now, even though for a little while you've had to suffer trials of all kinds. These things have come so that your faith being more precious than gold, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine on the day that Jesus visits us, that Christ visits us. Circumstances come into our life to, and God allows and uses them to help purge our faith of the things that get in the way of knowing him, that get in the way of the world seeing Jesus through us as well. And number four is probably the hardest one of all for us to believe that God is actually helping us know Jesus through this, is he helps us get to know Jesus through others. That what others are experiencing in their life, the testimony they share, and, and how we journey with them through this and watch how God is working in them can teach us a lot about who Jesus is and what he's doing and how he's working and perhaps even they speak into our lives. Yes, God does speak through people into our lives. And we need to be open to that. And we, and we need to... Technology is a wonderful thing. Okay. Sorry. We need to be open to God speaking to us through others. Now, we test everything according to the word. 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Test everything. Cling to what is good and reject what is not. The things, when it lines up with God's word and, and God is speaking to you that way and somebody else is confirming it, probably a good idea that God's speaking to you and you should, you should heed that. If it doesn't line up with the word, well, we're done there. We don't have to go any further. Let me just say a word about spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines play into this when we talk about getting to know Jesus. And there's all kinds of different spiritual disciplines out there, and, and, and there's all kinds of different uh, ideas about these things. And some of these, these uh, uh, folks that are um, pushing the spiritual discipline wagon, if I can say it that way, they, they sometimes tend to get into say, you need to do it a certain way, otherwise you're really not doing it. I have met people in our church who I talk about devotional times and, and say, you know, just spend five minutes with the Lord in this area and just do that. What, I can spend five minutes with the Lord? That's okay, That's actually, that actually counts. Yeah, it, it's not the length of time that matters, it's the, it's the heart, it's what you do, it's what you're listening for. What is it that God's calling you to do to spend time with him? Spend time in him with that. And be obedient to it. Again, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? God said, spend five minutes with me. And you're like, you can't, you're so busy, you can't even do that? No. We, we, can, we can just obey him in that area. Why should we work at this relationship? There's probably a lot of answers to that question, but the one I want to focus on is found in verses 47 through 49 of our chapter. And it reads this. Verse 47, I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts him into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed and the destruction was complete. We need to build on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. We do that by listening to what he says and doing it and in 
that helps us to fully enjoy this relationship and he builds us up, making us more mature and complete and not lacking in anything so that when the storms of life come, and they come, don't they? There's this stuff that comes, that we're ready for them. It, 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 it may be tough and it, it, it might bounce us around a little bit, but we will not collapse if we're built on the bedrock of Jesus Christ. As consequently, if we build on sand, if we build on truth that is relative, and it's really what we're talking about here is the difference between absolute truth, which is God's word, and relative truth, which is whatever's true for me at the time, whatever I feel like being true. If I build on relative truth, that's thinking sand. You know when you, uh, my wife likes to do this, go to the beach, and she likes to walk on the beach, barefoot. I hate that. But she, she likes, she loves to do it. And so I do it because she loves to do it. And you feel that sand go through your toe. You feel your feet kind of sink in the sand. You know, if you're walking up where the water hasn't been stuff. And it's a little harder to walk, but, you know, the sand moves out of your way and stuff. And you can take your foot and you can stamp it down the sand, you know, and it'll, it'll move, right? Try that with bedrock. Walk along on bedrock, take your foot and slam that down. Your shin splints are what you're going to be in for. You see, sand cannot hold a foundation. It, when there's any kind of movement or shaking at all, it moves. But bedrock doesn't. The whole earth can shake, and it's most likely going to stay right there. That's the picture Jesus is painting here. Paul writes for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, that no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. There is no other philosophy out there which you and I can build on this relationship with. It is only the foundation of Jesus Christ. And it is right here in this word. So we do this so that when the storms of life come, and if we're anchored and built in the bedrock of the faith, they will not overtake us. And then 1 Corinthians 10.13 is realized for us when Paul writes, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear up under it. There's another reason to be in, in, in that fully enjoying that relationship is so that we can see the way of escape that Jesus is providing when these things, storms of life, come along. It's kind of like this, the, um, the principle of muscle memory. Now, the principle of muscle memory works this way. For uh, police officers and firefighters and, and, and those in other uh, disciplines and things, they train in a lot of areas to do certain things when certain crises happen. Now, why do they do that? Because when the crisis occurs, adrenaline kicks in usually. And when the adrenaline kicks in and it comes up to a certain point, we become 50% less efficient at the task that we need to do to mitigate that crisis. And so police officers and firefighters train hours and hours and hours on, on, on these different kinds of emergencies and tasks and things. So when they actually are confronted with them, their adrenaline levels up, they're just reacting with muscle memory in their training. They're not thinking about it so much, and hopefully their response is appropriate. 
And then as they go through it, yes, they're still thinking and they're still sizing it up, but that 50% accuracy and efficiency is enough, along with their training, to get them through it. So it is with us. By preparing our minds for action, Paul writes in Ephesians 6, we can put on the armor of God so that we are ready to deal with these storms of life as they come up. Because we're anchored in the solid bedrock while they try to buffet us, we will not be shaken, we will not be overcome, and we can deal with it. Why? Because Jesus is telling us how to deal with it. And we're hearing it. We're responding the way that he wants us to respond. But we have to be in that relationship with him. We have to be working at it and enjoying it and listening and doing what he says. That's one reason for why we should work at this relationship, but there's another one as well. It's also as a testimony of Jesus to a lost and dying world that desperately needs to see him. The church needs people who know God and walk with him in such a way that the roots of their relationship to and with God shine forth as a light. Philippians chapter 2 verse 14 tell us about the fact that we shine like bright shining stars in this dark and crooked universe as we, not, not in our own strength, as we hold out the word of life. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says for us to do this. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good work and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Peter has something to say about this as well. When he writes this to the Christians in Rome that he's writing to, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, say this. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You got to have this relationship with him to know what those praises are, to know what this wonderful life is has to be rooted in him. Continuing on. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from the sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We've seen some very interesting things this last year, in 2020. We've seen humanity have some behaviors and things that we, oh my gosh, where did this come from? How, how, how could these people act this way? How could they do? The answer is sin. And, and, and people in darkness, the prophet. Micah said, people in darkness have seen a great light. The question now for us is, are the people walking in darkness today, are they seeing a great light through us about Jesus? Are, are we rooted in the solid rock of that relationship so much so that he is, his character is living out through us? We are doing what he says to, to show the world that Jesus Christ is. Not that he was, that he is. Perhaps one reason evangelism fails at times is because people 
people in the world cannot see the grace of God evidenced in the church's relationship to herself. To accomplish such an outreach and evidence such love means to depend totally on the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Son who will reward those who reflect his character to a needy but hostile world. That's the other reason that we need to fully enjoy this relationship. It's, not, not, it's just not about us. It's about fully engaging our neighbor, as our vision statement talks about. It's about showing Christ to a lost world. There is no other way to do it. Jesus did not call us to just exist with him in the same room. He didn't call us just to become saved and then cruise for the rest of our lives. He called us into a living and abiding relationship with him. John 10.10, I came, Jesus said, that you might have life and have it to the full. We have to hear what he's saying. We have to respond to it to have that life. As the worship team comes up, let me close with this summary of this message here this morning. The connection between God's blessing and our ability to love should not be missed here. Because of this blessing to us and our appreciation for him, we are able to love others because he gave, we can give. Because we know the joy of receiving from him, we are motivated to give to others. The actions Jesus calls for in, his, in this passage apply to others what he has already applied to us. The deeper our understanding and appreciation of what God has done through Jesus, the better prepared we will be to reflect his character to others and to deal with the storms and joys of life. This comes as we seek to fully enjoy our relationship with him in all areas of our life, a relationship built on the solid rock of truth of Jesus Christ. So church, as we go into 2021, may we continue to live in Christ, fully enjoying that relationship in him by building on the solid rock of his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that, ours, that is ours to be called into this awesome relationship with your Son as we have confessed with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and we have believed that God has raised him from the dead. Your word tells us we shall be saved. And as your children, Father, now this opportunity that is ours to fully enjoy a relationship with Jesus and ultimately have fellowship back with you that was destroyed at the fall is a great and precious gift. One, Lord, I pray that we will not take for granted that we will continue to, to meditate upon it and, and, and cherish it and cultivate it. Lord, thank you for the fact that you didn't leave us here alone to figure it out, but that you sent us your Holy Spirit to live in us and dwell in us, to lead us and guide us into the truth, to help us to be able to fully enjoy this relationship with you. And Lord, I pray for each of us as we go into this next year that we will all the more enjoy this relationship, that the world around us will see the true light of Christ, that the world around us will see truth, 
and not the lies of the enemy. But Lord, that your light might shine bright into the nations. And Lord, that we would just see that our part here in that and to be faithful, to not be content with just being in the same room with you, but to respond to you and to, to go where you send us and to just trust you with our very lives. Thank you for the word that you have given us. For the Apostle Paul writes this, but as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know that those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every Amen. Well, God bless you, church. We're looking forward to getting back together with you next Sunday, January 3rd. As Pastor Sean shared, we'll be having services back on campus again, both indoor and outdoor opportunities, as well as the online service and be uploaded by 2 p.m. Sunday. So if you can't join us in person, it'll be there for you as well. God bless you. Hope to see you soon.